0: Well, we're in the final week of a four week series we've been doing called Ask Away. And I love this series so much. We do it every year uh, during the, the Easter weekend. We give you a survey card. You have an opportunity to submit questions. And so you have submitted so many different questions uh, during that Easter weekend. And then we kind of categorize them and then we let the Lord lead us on the, the different types of conversations and questions we're going to ask. And so if you've missed any of the previous weeks, go back online, listen to the podcast and uh, take a listen i think you'll be really blessed and so today we're going to finish this conversation and and then we're only we're only 14 days away we're 2 weeks away from the launch of go church and i'm really excited about this this is a this is a global rebrand what god is doing we're we're obviously going to continue to honor our past because you need a solid foundation but we're dreaming for the future and so we're excited on september the 8th to launch go church it's going to be a great day. Not only are we launching Go Church that day, but we're also kicking off at this campus three Sunday morning gatherings. So three different gathering times and uh, our Germantown campus, they're going to stay at the same time. But, but all of you here, you get, a, you get a choice. You get a variety of options on gathering time, so we'll have the first one starting at 8 a.m., then we've got 9.45 a.m., and then we'll end the day at 11.30 a.m. All three of these gathering times will be identical, so same worship, same 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 message, same Jesus. Come on, somebody. So we're not going to worship a traditional Jesus early and a contemporary Jesus later. It's the same Jesus, and so I'm excited for that, and I want, I want you to choose the gathering time that works best for you and your family, We had over 300 people say to us through a survey we did recently that they're coming early to that 8 a.m. and I don't blame you. If I if I weren't the pastor here, my kids get up early anyway. So by about 7:45, I need a break. Come on, parents, where are you? You know, so you know, we've already run out of stuff to do activity wise. So just bring them to church and then you can enjoy the rest of the day. Some of you that got season tickets to the Falcons, uh, I can still make it by the end, by the way. But you can get here early and then go to the game. So whatever your Schedule's like it's a great variety of options But we're excited about that. And then also that day we're launching At The Movies, our sermon series. That Let me say all this. It's just the best day to bring your family, to bring your friends, especially those that aren't connected to a church. So mark your calendar because you got 14 days until all of these things happen. And we're already in the process. You walked in today. You saw some different paint going up. Uh, We're doing some great improvements around the facility at both campuses. And so it's just really exciting to be a part of this. Now, one more announcement. I'm going to jump into the message our first responsibility in this transition is to make sure that we always pray. Come on, give me a better amen than that. So the first thing, the very first thing that we're gonna do as we launch into the season of Go Church is I'm calling a 21-day prayer gathering, 21 days of prayer. We're doing this two times of the year. At the beginning of the year, we did 21 days of prayer and fasting. And then beginning on Saturday, September the 7th, that's the first Saturday in September, we're going to start 21 days of prayer. And I'm, I'm, I'm calling, as your pastor, both campuses, I'm calling us to the discipline of prayer. By a show of hands, how many of you have a prayer need that only God can meet? Come on. Okay, so we're going to pray together. And Monday through Friday, we're going to meet collectively at 6 a.m., uh, in this auditorium or uh, up at our uh, Germantown campuses, we've got some offices in the Clarksburg, Maryland area. So they're going to meet there at 6 a.m. And then every Saturday, we're going to meet at 8.30 a.m., one hour. We're going to respect your time, but we're going to watch God move in a powerful way. And maybe, maybe you can't commit to 21 straight days of praying because of your schedule. Just make, make a commitment to something. Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday. Every Monday, every Thursday. Every Saturday, whatever it looks like, I just—I would love to see all of you just show up to one of these. I don't, I don't anticipate you'll be disappointed in what you experience. We'll have worship, we'll have a devotion, and then we're going to pray. So this is the very first thing we're going to do because the great prophet M.C. Hammer said, you've got to pray just to make it today. Come on now. I don't know if he's a prophet, but... If you don't know who MC Hammer is, ask the person next to you. They, they do. Let, let me give you this today. We're, we're going to jump into the last week of this series. And last week we talked about heaven. Uh, man, I've been reflecting on that message all week long. I think it's one of the number one most asked questions is about the afterlife, what happens after we die. So we jumped into heaven, that conversation. Because as believers, this world that we live in today is not our home. We're going to heaven. If we're have in right standing, right relationship with Jesus, if you missed last week, I want you to go back and listen. Today I think we're gonna address the second most asked question. And this is for people that may be a part of a faith group, and even not. Now, of course, when you ask what God's will is for my life, then you believe that there is a supreme being that has a purpose. But I think just about everybody wants to know why am I alive? You know, I mean, what what what's the deal? What's God's plan? And And regardless of the season that you're in, don't let this question make you think, well, this is just for somebody that's just getting started in life. This is a question we all ask. So whether you're in high school or in college and you're considering what your future is going to be, or maybe you're in a season of becoming a grandparent or even looking at the thought of retirement, if, if you've got a pulse, and you can check that, okay? If you don't have a pulse, we've a great medic team here. We'll help you out. But if you got a pulse, that means you're alive because God's not done with you. Oh, come on. God's got a purpose for you, and God's got a plan for you. And I, I don't know what your mom told you. I don't know what your dad told you. But even if they said, hey, you, you were an accident, you were a surprise, that's their story, God's not surprised by you. You are not an accident by God. And every one of us have a purpose and a plan. And so at some point, we come to this curiosity of, what is God's will for my life? what's What's my plan? What's my purpose? What am I supposed to do with the 75, 80, 85, 90, 100 years that I'm alive on this big old earth? I think it's a great question because, Not enough people really consider that question in terms of wanting to do it God's way. And so let me give you a couple of verses to consider. Let's start in the book of James. A brother of Jesus says it like this. Now, he's talking to everybody who is trying to force their own agenda. He's talking to people that are trying to push their own way. And he says, so to everybody who says today and tomorrow, and I highlighted this, we will. And this is just me, i know. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk in kind of uh, uh, generalization for a moment here. I think most of us, if we're not careful, we will a lot of things into existence that is not the will of God. Okay, so he says today or tomorrow, we, we will go to this city, we'll go to that city, we'll carry on business, we'll make money. So to put it in today's terms we we got our schedule, we got our plans, we've got our itinerary, we've got travel ball on the weekend, we've got a business meeting on Wednesday. We've got all of these to-do lists, so we're making all of these plans and he says, "Wait, wait a minute." He says, "You you you don't even know what's going to happen tomorrow." And then he and then he gives us this thought, and this thought is not only profound, but it's quite popular. I mean, this is something that is used in pulpits and and at funerals and and in, 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 in like graduation ceremonies, just to understand the brevity of life. And he says, What is your life? What is your life? He says, your, your life is like a mist. Now, one of the things I love so much about this time of year is that fall is on the way. Come on, somebody felt Jesus right there, didn't you? And so the other morning in the South Metro Atlanta area, we woke up to a dense fog. And I thought, man, thank God, cooler weather is coming. But within a couple of hours, that, that mist was gone. And James says, your life is like that. It's, it appears for a little while, and, and then it vanishes. And then this is what he said. He said, what you ought to say is, if it's the Lord's will, then we'll do this or that. And it just makes me think, I, I know some, and I, I, I mean this in like a, uh, an encouraging way. I know some old school Christians some, like, seasoned saints. Some people that have been around a while. Not only, like, life, but they've been through some stuff, okay? And, I, and at first, when I first started hanging around these people, their response to me about trying to get together would kind of frustrate me, but the, the, the more I grow in the Lord, the more I recognize they're right and I'm wrong because I would say things like, hey, I'll see you next Sunday, and then these seasoned saints would say, Lord willing. What do you mean, Lord? Say, so, hey, you want to grab coffee tomorrow at five? Lord willing. What does that mean? Well, it means you woke up today because the Lord was willing to wake you up. Come on now. So he says, you ought to say, if it's the Lord's will. It's the Lord's will. Let me give you one more verse here as we jump into the beginning of this conversation. 1 John two seventeen. The world and its desires pass away. But the man who does the will of God lives forever. Both campuses, on the count of three, I want to read this this second half right here at the conjunction uh, together, starting at, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. Can we read that together? One, two, three. But the man who does the will of God lives forever. Now, you and I, we have a ton of decisions that we have to make. Every day that we live is filled with decisions, and not all the decisions that we make are big rocks, huge rocks. Some of them are, but a lot of them aren't. And I'm, not, I'm, far, I'm, I'm a work in progress, come on now. But I'm trying to do a better job of making sure that whatever decision I make, that I stay in tune with the will of God for my life. Because listen to me, just lean in for a second. I, I'm telling you, I know what it feels like, to live in the will of God, and I know what it feels like to live out of the will of God. And there is nothing more beautiful, there is no greater joy, no greater peace, and I believe I'm living in that in this season right now, of being in the perfect will of God for my life and for my family. I wish I had time to tell you a story, but I really, I really don't, but... There was a season where Kimberly and I, we were engaged. A job opportunity came. uh, Stress was high, but the money looked good. And and I told her, I said, I'm going. You can go with me, but I'm going. We're about to get married, but I'm going. And she said, I'm going to go, but I'm going to tell you. I told you so when we get there. Okay? But pride, and I'll come back, I'll come full circle with that. We went, and it was the most miserable year of my life because I was outside of the will of God, because I took an opportunity that was a good opportunity but was not a God opportunity. Okay, are are you with me? Okay, so some decisions are huge, but then there's other decisions, you know, like, hey, should we get a dog or should we get a cat? Well, that's easy. Always get a dog. Come on now. Nobody got time for cats. I'm going to preach against the demonic spirit of kittens every Sunday. But then there are big decisions. Where where should I go to college? Where where should I go to school? Uh, What what job should I take? Should I quit my my current job because I feel miserable? Who should I marry? And and is there only one person in this whole earth in this whole world that I should marry? You know, are they going to be on Tinder? Hello. (laughs) And then when you get married, here's a big one. Should we have kids? Because those of you who do not have kids, you look at us who have children and you think you always look exhausted. So should we have kids or not? So how do you know what to do or how do you know which way to go? Let me give you a verse here. I think it'll help you. John 10, 27, Jesus is talking and this is what he says. He says, my sheep. On the count of three, both campuses, say that word sheep, one, two, three. Now there's a part of me that wishes Jesus would refer to to me as something other than a sheep. Like give give me a more like powerful animal illustration. My lion. That's what I'm talking about. My ram. My bear. That's what I want to be known as. But he says, "No, no, no. You are my sheep because sheep are foolish. Sheep are unintelligent. Sheep are directionless. And sheep need a shepherd to guide them. And at the end of the day, I'm going to give you a dad joke, and you're going to laugh because it's funny. He calls us sheep because we always make bad decisions. Come on now. I told you it was funny. I warned you, and you laughed anyway. We do. We make bad decisions, don't we? And so he says, my sheep, watch this, because sheep just graze all day long. They got their head down, never looking forward, and eventually they wander out of the pasture and they get themselves in trouble, and then Jesus has to leave the 99 to go after that one foolish, directionless sheep. Okay? And he says, but my sheep, they listen to my voice. I know them, and they what? Let me ask you a question. Do you know what God's voice sounds like? because here's the thing and i hear people say well god never speaks to me that's not true man god is always speaking god god is always talking but sometimes we're too busy to slow down and listen and then other times when he does speak we don't know what his voice sounds like this isn't on the stream but i want you to write it down but do do you know how god speaks to you and are you in tune to when God speaks to you. Now, probably like me, there have been some ways I've tried to help God speak to me. So, and I get, people tell me this a lot. They're like, did you read your horoscope today? A lady came to me some Sundays back. She said, you've got to be a Capricorn. I said, no, I'm a Christian. Come on, somebody. (laughs) Covered by the blood of the lamb. Covered by the blood. I so, said, well, you must be a Virgo then. I so said, I'm covered by Jesus, you know. The, the problem is, is this, and I want you to know this. God condemns, condemns the use of astrology as a means to figure out your purpose and destiny. Watch this. You do not need the stars to align to figure out who holds tomorrow. The star of David, come on, somebody. God sent his son, Jesus, and Jeremiah twenty nine eleven says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you, but to give you hope and the future. I don't need terror cards. I, 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 don't, I don't need a fortune cookie. Come on now, that's fun, and we enjoy it, and the cookie ain't even that great. It ain't that great. But it is what it is. I'll tell you the story like 30 seconds real fast. I worked for a guy one time, he wasn't very kind to me, and all day, every day, he called me ugly. True story. He said, JC, yes, sir, you're ugly. Thank you. JC, yes, sir, you ugly. JC, yes, sir, you are ugly. So one day, he did that all morning long, and, and uh, we went out together as a team for lunch, went to a Chinese restaurant. God is my witness. I opened the fortune cookie, and it said, You are pretty. <laughs> It's the only time I've heard God speak through a fortune cookie. You <laughs> see, hey, I don't I don't want to be offensive to you, but if your hope is in a horoscope? Wow. If your hope is in what you read on the menu at a restaurant or in the newspaper, Here's the other method that people try to use to understand the voice of God. And this one's a little bit more tricky because it's actually in the Bible. It's called the fleece method. So if you remember in the Old Testament, a God called a guy named Gideon to fight the Midianites to save Israel. Well, Gideon was was cowardly. He was intimidated. He was fearful of this calling. Uh, But he also operated in humility. He had a pure heart. And so God said, hey, I've called you to go and defeat Midian. And then Gideon says, I'm going to put a fleece out before you. Now, a fleece is a type of material, like a wool-like material. And Gideon said, I'm going to put this piece of fleece outside of my tent. And if this is really you, if this is really your voice, okay, then I want you to make the fleece wet and the, the, the ground dry. So just let it rain on the fleece. Well, Gideon woke up, and guess what? The ground was dry and the fleece was wet. It was so wet that he wrung out the fleece and it filled up a whole bowl full of water. And then Gideon, that wasn't enough. So then Gideon says, well, let's just make sure before I go into battle. And he says, now, tonight, I want you to make the ground wet and keep the fleece dry. And God did it, okay? Now, here's a point that I'm trying to make. I just wrestle with giving God ultimatums. That's me. I wrestle with saying, God, if this is you, I want to see A, B, C, D, E, F, G happen. Listen to me. When you get close to God, you know his voice, and when God speaks, you move. There are no questions. Come on now. There is no, a lot of times with God, it's not a two-way conversation. You either are going to be in his will or you're going to be out of his will, okay? Then here's the last one because I got more to talk about. Another bad way to figure out God's voice is what I call the flip and point to a Bible verse method. I worked for a guy that preached a sermon for one hour on this method. He was like, "Well, not really sure where the Lord's gonna lead us today, but wait a minute, there it is." (laughs) Preached for an hour, worst sermon I've ever heard until today, and the one I'm giving you. Sorry about that. And you've seen people that that do this as well. Lord, I need I need to hear from you. If you'll just if you'll just speak to me. (sighs) Ah, now here's a problem with that. Let's take the lady that's been married, and she's having some problems in her marriage. And she says, Lord, like there's some things going on with my husband, and I don't, I don't know what to do. So I'm just gonna flip the Bible, and wherever it lands, thy will be done. And so she flips to this one. Let me give this to you. Judges chapter four. But Jael, Heber's (laughs) wife, picked up a tent peg and a hammer went quietly to him while he lay fast asleep and exhausted. She drove the peg through his temple, come on, into the ground, and he died. Now, you know what the woman's thinking. Well, that cannot be God's will. So I'm going to do it one more time. So she flips through the Bible, and she lands on Luke, where Jesus said, Now go and do likewise. (laughs) Come on, that's funny. That's funny. That's a Some Somebody say there's a better way. There's a better way to hear God's voice than reading a horoscope, putting out a fleece, or just hoping to somehow. And I'm not saying God can't do that, but come on. Come on. The closer you get in relationship to God, the more attentive you are to his voice. And he will speak. So here's what I want to do. For the next 20 minutes or so, I want to break this conversation into two halves. Okay, because I want to help you know God's will for your life. The first half is going to be very theological. We're going to start in the deep end of the pool, and then we're going to work our way into the shallow end, and we'll end on practical. So we're going to jump right in on the theological understanding of God's will for your life. So I want you to take some notes, and I'll start with this illustration to kind of set the direction of the next 20, 20, 25 minutes here. You ready? Uh, In this season, I firmly believe, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that it is God's perfect plan for me to play golf. Come on, somebody. And my wife and I disagree, but I feel like the Lord's calling me to play golf. And on my days off, I like to play. I told the Lord the other day after a round of golf, and I actually played this round alone. I got in the car and I said to God, why do you allow me to love a game so much that I'm so bad at? So bad, but I love it so much. Now, if you've been around golf you've played golf you've watched golf most of us know how golf works but just for an illustration and i'm setting this story up to give you the theological understanding of god's will for your life there's 18 holes in a round every hole you start on a tee box the object is is to get that little ball into that little cup in as least amount of strokes as possible now very rarely does anybody ever hit a hole in one and if they do hit a hole in one, then it's on a shortened hole. That would require less stroke, so the yardage is less. Most holes, though, are long, and they're challenging. Does that make sense? I played with one of the guys on our board of trustees. His name's Don Stevens. We played in a tournament a few months back. And Don, I watched with my own eyes, hit a hole in one. It was unbelievable. Now, I jumped up and down so much as if I did it. It was like I was living vicariously through his ability to hit a hole in one, because I knew I'd never do it. Now, if you can't hit a hole-in-one off the tee box, then the next primary objective becomes to hit that ball in the fairway. In the fairway. Because if you get out of the fairway, then your next shot you'll be hitting from a dangerous area. And it becomes an even greater challenge to accomplish the objective, which is to get that little ball and that hole in as least amount of strokes as possible. If you're with me, say I'm with you. So the point is, is how do I keep this ball in the fairway? And God's will for your life, from a theological perspective, is quite similar. There there is a zone. There is a fairway that God wants you to play in to make the game of life easier. And the problem is, is that so many people are out of the zone, They're out of the fairway. And so you're having a difficult time understanding God's will for your life because you're hitting from the woods. You're hitting from the sand. You're hitting from the water. You're hitting, watch this, life is rough because you're playing in the rough. So the first thing on this theological understanding of God's perspective for your life is, I got to get you back in the fairway. So the other day I was playing, I came, I came off the tee box. I opened my hips a little too early. The ball went into the woods. Now the pride in me said, JC, take your four iron, keep this ball low. It will skim right underneath the 2,824 tree limbs that are hanging there. It'll ricochet off that windmill. It'll pop up in the air. An eagle will grab the ball and land it right on the green and that ball will roll and trickle into the hole. And then I realized... I ain't happy Gilmore. <laughs> so what I did was, is I actually watched this. I was facing that direction, but I had to turn and just pop the ball out into the fairway because I knew that is going to be easier than staying where I'm at. And so I want to give you the theological understanding of this. You, you want to know God's will, you got to get back in the fairway. And there's three things that you need to know from a theological standpoint to help you get back in the fairway. The first one is this. Write it down. What is God's will for my life? You have to know the sovereign will of God. God has a... Can I, can I say some things today in honesty without you getting frustrated? Okay. Only one person said yes. This going to be a long, a long close. Watch this. God's plan is much bigger than just you. God has a sovereign plan that is far greater than just me. And sometimes I think that this earth rotates on its axis for me. But God has a sovereign plan. And you have to ask, God, what are you doing on the earth? Like, what are you doing in this big picture, in the big scheme of things? Because watch, God is always up to something, God's got a big sovereign plan and do you know do you know what it is because if you don't then you'll try to take your will and God's sovereign will and they'll compete with each other but God's sovereign will and your personal will should never compete with each other they should complete one another let me say it like this watch this God's will for our personal lives will never contradict his sovereign will. These two are harmonious. These two always line up, they will always coincide. So, the best way for a person to know, God, what is your plan for my life? What is your will for my life? It's to know the sovereign will of God. How do I know that? This is what Jesus said. The disciples said, Teach us to pray. And Jesus said, All right, pray this. Thy kingdom come. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth, where we live, as it is in heaven. So right here we recognize that God has a plan and he's got a will that is far greater than just what we see in the natural Come on, just kind of nod at me like, hey, that's pretty good right there. Because it's true, God is sovereign, and he's always up to something. And his personal plan for your life will complement with his sovereign plan. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So you got to get back in the fairway. And you've got to align what you think is your will with the sovereign will of God, the sovereign plan of God. This is number two. I could stay there, but i got so much to say. The second one is the moral will of God. Because this is what I find in the counseling sessions that I do. People say, you know, here's the dilemma. What do you think I should do? And like nine and a half times out of ten, God has already given the answer in his word. Now, The earth that we live in is corrupt, and we're moving further and further away from decency and morality, okay? God God is calling us back to moral purity. And in his word, he says, look, he says, there's some things that I've already told you to do that if you just get in this book, the decision is, is pretty easy. So let me say it like this stop asking people in your life what you should do because you know they'll agree with your disobedience. And I've done that. God, do you want me to do this? And then I'll call up a few friends that'll be like, I think that's a pretty good idea. Instead of going to this where God says, hey, that ain't right. And really, let's not overcomplicate it. If you're in a decision, you're in a dilemma, you're forced with an opportunity, just say, okay, because your will and God's word should always line up. Okay, so what, what we need to say is this, God, is this your plan? And he'll say yes, because it's here, or he'll say no, because it's here. Are you with me? So let me give you one recently, and I won't tell you the individual's name. I'll just tell you the scenario. Somebody came to me and said, Pastor JC, I think I want to move in with my boyfriend. Is that okay? okay? And we hear that a lot. Come on. I had a guy tell me one time, he's like, hey, You know, I'm going to move in with my girlfriend. And this is what he said. He said, because, you know, you got to test drive the car before you buy it. Uh, Okay. So this girl said, I want to move in with my boyfriend. Is that okay? God has already spoken. you, And the fact that you came to me, you already know. So let me show you. So I didn't give my opinion, which I have an opinion as a father. And I, I know what that conversation would be like if my son or my daughter came to me and said, hey, I'm thinking about moving in with my boyfriend or girlfriend, okay? But I just went to the book because there is the moral will of God. And I said, well, here you go. Let's just read First Thessalonians because this is what your Bible says. And the Bible is the final authority. And the Bible says, for this is the... Where, where, where's the debate? Where's the confusion?'" this is the will of God for your sanctification. There's a few different ways to define sanctification, but watch this. It's a setting apart. It's a cleaning out. It's a desire for purity and holiness and not to be like this world. And can I tell you, it, listen to me, if you're single, the power of the Holy Spirit can keep you pure. And watch this. That is, here's your sanctification. This is the will of God that you abstain from sexual immorality. Now I've had these conversations, so I know what you're thinking. Well, we're gonna move in together, but we ain't gonna do nothing. To which I would respond, you know that when you move in, both of y'all gonna be bad. Come on, now it's funny the second time. Got you again. You know it. Let me say this, and I don't. Oh man, because there's there's other examples, but I think you get the point. So if you're single, listen to me, in this room at Go Church online, if you're single, you are not married, and you, you are living with and sleeping with your boyfriend or girlfriend, Okay, you're outside of the moral will of God. That's it. And this is, this is all I'm saying. Get back in the fairway, because you're making it so much more difficult than it needs to be. And I'm going, to t- I'm going to take some, as a matter of fact, I'm going to stand on the word with some authority right now. Listen to me. you got to move out today. Like today. It doesn't mean you don't love them. It doesn't mean they don't, they don't mean something to you. Just get back in the fairway. So you got two options today. And then I'm going to step off my Bible. But I'm standing on the authority, which means you can't touch this. This is like a shield. Watch it. You either move out today or after church, I will marry you. Today. Hey, I'm already dressed up. If you wait, I ain't going to look any better. I'm just going to be fatter. You might as well do it today. Well, wow, I've lost a few pounds. Come on. And today is free tomorrow. I'm going to charge you, but today is free. We'll marry you today. Where are you running from commitment? Well, I don't, you've been together five years. Get back in the fairway. Can, can I get like three people that love me right now and just, come on, just like, yeah, agree with me. There like, I see that hand. I see that hand. All right, and then the third one is this. Get back in the zone. Get back in the fairway. We're going to be over time. Y'all might as well cancel your reservations at Golden Corral. <laughs> then there's the personal will of God. And this is ultimately the question that was asked. God, what do you desire for my life? And I want you to know this: God has a sovereign will, God has a moral will, but God gifted you with talents and abilities. You're unique. There's you've heard this before, but there's not another fingerprint like yours in all of the world. I, I know some of you think, and you're you're on a quest for your doppelganger. There's nobody like you, you're one of a kind you're unique, you're special, you're called. And I just want to challenge you because I have fallen into this trap before where I'm so focused on the gifts, talents, and abilities that I don't have that I miss out on the gifts, talents, and abilities that I do have. And let me just give you this thought. If God had a different assignment for me, then he would have given me different gifts, talents, and abilities. But he didn't create me and put me on this earth and leave me ill-equipped he put inside of me the power of the Holy Spirit, and then he gave me the gifts, talents, and abilities that I, that I can sharpen in order to accomplish the personal will of God for my life. So watch this. You can't sing because he don't need you to sing. Come on now. So stop singing. I'm just kidding. My God, stop it the best preaching i can do stop singing if you can't sing somebody say amen Amen. but he's got it so he's given you unique gifts as a matter of fact the psalmist david said it like this your eyes saw my unformed body think about that that all of your days were ordained every day was ordained and they were written in the book before one of them even came to be That's a part of God's sovereign plan. And when you understand the sovereign will of God, let me say it like this. The the more I get to know the sovereign will of God and the more I get to know the moral will of God, then the better I will discern the personal will of God for my life. Come on, can you say amen right there? Come on, that's good, isn't it? So that's the theology part, and I'm going to move through the practical part really quick. That's the deep end of all of this. But but before I transition, I'm going to give you two questions. Two questions. I feel the Holy Spirit right now. You've got to answer these two questions because I don't know who you are, but you've got to get back in the fairway. Life is rough because you're playing from the rough. It should be easier than what you're experiencing. Two questions you've got to answer in order to get back in the zone, to get back in the fairway. The first one is this. What am I doing that I need to stop doing? What, what am I doing that I need to stop? Stop doing, because it's going against the sovereign will of God. It's going against the moral will of God, and it's got you out of the zone. I gave you this verse back in January when we did a series on prayer, because it's a great prayer to pray about what do I need to stop doing. Search me, God. Search me and know my heart and and try me and and know all of my anxious thoughts. And And then David goes on and he says this, and see if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. So let me go back to it just so you can see it. What am I doing that I need to stop doing? Then the second one is this. What am I not doing that I need to start doing? Okay, I asked you earlier, can I say some things and you not be upset with me? And one of you said yes. And that's all I needed was one. (laughs) Texas became a state by one vote. Come on now. I just need one person. So watch this. We're all about preaching against, yeah, shouldn't you shouldn't sleep around when you're not married and don't cohabitate and all of those things. But what are you not doing that you need to start, start? God gave you gifts, talents, and abilities, and you've been coming to this church for five years, and you don't even serve? You, you, you've been here. I knew it would be quiet. <laughs> Tell me more jokes. No, I ain't got time for jokes. I I ain't feeling funny right now. Listen to me. God, God, I want to be in your will. Let, let, and then you go all King James. Thy will be done. Well, start tithing. Because where your treasure is, there your heart is. Oh, I knew he'd talk about money. Let me say something to you. This church has been around about 45 years. You hadn't given yet, and we're all right. We're going to be okay for the next 45 years, whether you give or not. Because the kingdom of God is not dependent upon your tithe and your paycheck. The money you give is not about us. The money you give is about you and Jesus. And if you want to be in the will of God, then put your money where your mouth is. I wish I had like 300 people right now. I don't need that money. Where would he get so bold? My father-in-law taught me how to be this way. And if you don't like it, take it up with him. I want, I want your will to be done. Then get in the Bible. This is not a, hey, let's one, two, skip a few days. Could you imagine if that's how I treated my wife in our conversation? Hey, I'll talk to you on Thursday. <laughs> I'm telling you right now, I might be moving in with some of y'all. No, read, read your Bible. God, I want to be in your will. Then, then pray, because when we pray, we block out all of the noise. And it's not just, praying isn't just about us speaking to God. It's about God speaking to us. And I want you to know something. I'm going to say something. It's the last part of the theology, and then I'm going to fly through the 74 points I have on the practical side. (laughs) Watch. I really believe this because everything I just mentioned to you, serving, giving, reading the Bible, praying, those are called spiritual disciplines. And hear hear my heart. If you're faithful to the practice of the spiritual disciplines, with a heart of humility, I don't know if you can get out of the will of God. Because God wants you in his will more than you want to be in his will. God's not off in the corner of heaven holding his personal will for your life in his hands, hiding it from you with some maniacal laugh. <laughs> I'll never give it to you. No. God created you so that you could get in the fairway and live in that will. The problem is, is you're out of the zone and you're doing things your way. But when you practice the spiritual disciplines... Wow, you get back into the fairway. So what do we do? Okay, that's the deep end. I am going to fly through the practical stuff because you got opportunities, you got decisions to make. So I'm going to give you a few things that you can start doing today and you can't pick and choose which one of these six things that you like and don't like in order to figure out God's plan for your life. Again, this is candy on the bottom shelf. Everybody gets some today. you got to use all six things and it starts with this first, 1 John 4.1. Dear friends... Do not believe every spirit. Let me give you a word synonymous with spirit there. Don't believe every emotion. Don't, don't believe every every impression. Don't believe every every feeling. Because <laughs> I, I have felt some things before and thought this is God. Only to come to find out it was Los Mariachis. Come on, somebody. I I must be God, I feel this. It says, don't believe every spirit, but do what? Both campuses on the count of three say this word, test one, two, three. But test the spirits to see whether they are from God or not. So there's this filter that we can use to say, God, what's your will and what's the right decision to make? The first one is this, am I in a right relationship with Jesus? Am I in a right place with God? Because when I'm faced with a choice if my, if my walk with him is not healthy, I make bad decisions. So you, you got to start right here, identify, am I in the fairway or am I in the rough? Do you see that? Paul said it like this in Romans 12 too, He says, don't conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Okay, So it's understanding, uh, there's some things I have to do different. And then watch what he says as a continued thought. He says, then you will be able to do what? Test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. So here's the point. What do I do? What's my next move? Is this your will? Ask, am I in a right relationship with Jesus? Because right living equals right places. When you get right, the Bible says that the steps of a righteous person are ordered by the Lord. I could stay there, but i got to move. Number two, what does the Bible say? So again, I'm giving you all six things here to consider. Is this your will? Okay, question one or test question one. Am I in a right relationship with Jesus? Quest, uh, test question number two, what does the Bible say? Am I cons- what, is what I'm considering going to take me outside of the will of God? I said this a moment ago, but I'm going to give you the verse to back it up. Luke 21. Heaven and earth will pass away, but what? It's God, God's word will never pass away. Let me say this to you. Stop, stop picking and choosing parts of the Bible to justify disobedience. As a matter of fact, I'm going to give you this thought. Every verse that you use to make a decision, read at least 10 verses previous and 10 verses after. We justify our decisions and say, well, the, the, Bi- the Bible says. God's word does not change, so we should stop trying to change God's word. Number three, remember this, what would Jesus do? WWJD. Some of y'all had the bracelet, you had the t-shirt, had the bumper sticker. And, and what people asked whenever they did WWJD is, okay, in this moment I'm faced with a choice, so what, what would Jesus do? What would his decision be? And I want you to know this: Jesus always operated in wisdom. He always had wisdom. And again, I'm a work in progress, but every decision that I that I'm up against, I, I often ask myself, is what I'm about to do wise? And will it hurt the heart of God or will it please the heart of God? James says it this way: But if you harbor bitter envy, If you've got selfish ambition, if all of that's in your hearts, don't boast about it. and Don't deny the truth. Watch this. That kind of wisdom, the wisdom that leads you to do things your way instead of God's way, he says that wisdom doesn't come from heaven. That kind of wisdom comes from the earth, and it's unspiritual, and it's of the devil. And he says this in verse 16. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find chaos. Disorder, this is where you get out of the fairway and you're playing in the rough. This is where you find every evil practice. He says, but WWJD, what would Jesus do? What what would the Spirit say? He says, that kind of wisdom comes from heaven. And watch this. Let this be your filter. It's pure. It's peace-loving. It's considerate. It's submissive. It's full of mercy. It produces good fruit. It's impartial. And it's sincere. That's what Jesus would do. Okay, three more. Watch. Number four. Is this God's will? You have to ask yourself, have you received any godly counsel? Have you asked people to help you make that choice? You need some people to bounce decisions off of. I wish I had time, but I don't. But let me tell you this real fast. Be careful who you receive counsel from. Be careful. As a matter of fact, here's a filter on who you should let into your inner circle that you're giving permission to give you godly counsel. Write this down real fast. It's not on the TV, but write it down. Do they love God? If they don't love God, I wouldn't ask them for nothing. Pardon the grammar. Okay? Do they love God? Do they love me and my family? If they don't love me and my family, what what do I need to go to them for advice about? And then watch this. Do they have my best interest in mind? And if the answer to all three of those questions are yes, then you can trust them with what's going on. And I've surrounded myself with great people. You saw the board of trustees. You saw the board of elders. I got a great staff. I got three guys that I talk to, and I'm not over-exaggerating this, every day, either on FaceTime or Zoom or a phone call or text message. Jason and Jeremy Isaacs. Jason pastors in Kentucky. Jeremy pastors in Canton, Georgia. And then Kyle Jackson is the Columbus campus pastor for Church of the Highlands. And and I'm always asking them, hey, is this wise? Is this this good? And here's why I ask them, because they love God. And they love me. They love my family. And they want what's best. And maybe you're sitting here thinking, well, I don't have anybody like that. Then get in a group Because when you get in a small group, it becomes a family, just like Dr. Brian said, which didn't you think it was awesome that he's a chiropractor and his last name is Hammer? Come on now. (laughs) I love that. Sign me up there for movement chiropractor. Boom! That's what I want. But you get in a group and that that group becomes family. And now you're making decisions together. Here's Proverbs. For lack of guidance of a nation falls. And this is my heart for you. I want you to be victorious. Cuz when you have counsel, it makes victory sure. Two more. Do do you have peace about it or do you have panic? Uh every every male in the room that's 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 married, you have a wife, raise your hand. Come on, just raise your hand. Real quick. Just the guys for a second, okay? Hands down. One of my good friends uh, Caleb Stanley, I see in the back, he's newlywed. He just got married a couple months ago. I want you to write this down, okay? This is going going to help you for the next 25 years, 30 years, 55 years. I'm helping you. Watch. God has given women wild discernment. Crazy, supernatural, borderline spooky discernment. I'm, I'm telling you, he gave women a gift to give us peace about decisions, so I'm just going to challenge. I'm just going to challenge every husband in the room. Stop fighting against what your wife knows you ought to do. Listen to me, and I. I'm, and I, here, here's. Can I get three more minutes? I'm, I'm gonna take it, cause I, got, I just made a whole lot of new friends, and it feels really good, cause today was tough. Today was really tough, but now, come on, somebody. Watch this, and I, and I can hear some of them. Well, the Bible says that she ought to submit to me only if you're the godly man of that house. Every, every and let me tell you, there's, I've, got, I've got pride issues. I've got some stuff I've got to work on, okay? And it troubles me how right Kimberly is so often. Now, she's not perfect, but just about every decision that we have to make about family or ministry or future, God has given her a peace. I'm telling you. And and even even when I said, I feel a peace. And she says, no, 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 there's something there. Be be careful. And I said, well, (laughs) watch this. (laughs) Caleb, write it down. Here it is. First Corinthians, for God is not the author of confusion. Hey, God is not the author of that sand trap. God is not the author of that hazardous area. God is not the author of rough. God is the author of peace. Peace. Last one. I could stay here all day. And I hope I am marrying somebody today, by the way. Last question. Is this my want or God's will? Is it my want or God's will? Stand with me all over the room. Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, he's going to the cross. He's in the garden. The Bible says that he begins to pray. And he prays with such fervor that he begins to sweat. And his sweat turns to drops of blood. And in that prayer, this is what he prayed. Can you imagine going to the cross to be crucified for people that would reject you still? And this is what he says. He says, God, if it is at all possible, can you take this burden from me? Can you take this cup from me? And then he says this. He says, Yet not my will, but your will be done. Every week I try to close with a question. Our campus pastors are coming. Our worship team is coming. I'm going to say this question and I'm walking off the stage. They're going to sing and you have to answer it for you. Do you really want what God wants for your life? Because if you do, he'll reveal it to you. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Let's worship Jesus.